Good morning, Anchor. It is so good to see you guys. Uh, like Brian said, my name is John. I'm the executive pastor here at Anchor, and I get the absolute privilege um, of closing out our series, The Prayers That Jesus Prayed. And here's our heart is that as we are in the season of Lent that the church has historically looked to um, as a time of preparation and, and, and deep prayer to get our hearts ready for the absolute celebration that is Easter, we want to look at the prayers that Jesus himself prayed. But before we do that, I'm gonna ask you a question. This is an audience participation moment. I want you to raise your hand, raise your neighbor's hand, your roommate's hand, your spouse's hand if they're embarrassed. How many of you would call yourselves a sore loser? All right, sore losers. There we go. This, thank you. This is a much more honest room than the 9 a.m. I don't know what that says, um, but I like you people. Uh, some of you, though, might be answering that, asking yourself, like, am I a sore loser or not? And if you're not sure, one look at your neighbor, they will tell you. Uh, but also, we have a little survey for you. So get out your notes app. You can make little ticks uh, for each of these questions that you might say yes to. Have you ever suggested playing a game with a group of your friends and had everyone look down at the floor? <laughs> Growing up, was there a family rule such as we don't play a monopoly with your name here? Have you ever had a new person say, hey, let's play a game, it's gonna be really fun, and then have everyone try not to look at you? Because they know it's not fun. Have you ever broken a game board or game pieces? When you visit your parents' house, are there still makeshift game pieces with a game because you broke or threw or lost the pieces in a fit of frustration? If you answered yes to even one of those questions, let alone a multitude of those questions, you're a sore loser. Um, that's okay. We're, that's why we're at church, right? We process through these things. Uh, early in our marriage, my wife Rose would what, was what I would call the, the stereotypical sore loser. Um, critics have said I was a stereotypical sore winner. Um, and so that's a great combo, right? So when I say your typical sore loser is the kind where we'll get frustrated during the game if it felt like she was losing. I might have made some comments I thought were joking. She did not think were jokes. Uh, and then would, uh, would be angry and a little frustrated with me for hours after the game. That's what we call your, your typical sore losers. But there's, there's a couple other kind of sore losers that I realized I'm actually one of. I was really cool in elementary school, and like all the cool kids do, I hung out at chess club. And <laughs> so I was a proud member of the Vinland Elementary Chess Club for a couple of years. And uh, one of the things, how many of you guys have a, have a basic knowledge of chess? Okay, basic knowledge of chess, okay. It's okay if your hand's up because you watched Queen's Gambit with the rest of us during the pandemic. Like, that's fine. That's helpful. Um, and it, it, there's a couple of kinds of sore losers that I learned about specifically as my time as one of the cool kids in the chess club, because we're all cool kids in the chess club. Uh, and, and that's, one is this. One is what I call the early quitter. This is the kid who's playing chess and, and they, they do a move that's a little too adventurous with their queen and they lose it early in the game and they walk away because they just don't want to keep playing anymore. And there's so much game left. There's, there's so much time for them to come and they just refuse. The other is this. I have this image of a third grader in my head. I don't remember his name, which is good for him and for my soul. Um, and they're the sore loser who just doesn't want to admit that they've lost. You see, in chess, there is a moment where you're like, okay, it is over for me. I'm about to get checkmated. I'm going to just knock my king over and resign. And that's called, it's good decorum, right? This kid 
We can call him Bobby. I don't know. Sorry for any Bobbies in the room. Um, I don't know his name. But Bobby would take his, his, his king and just move him square to square to square to square. I had seven pieces left. Bobby just had his king left. And he would just move it from square to square to square. Refusing to acknowledge that the game was essentially over and he had lost. I do that, right? Like, I, I, there are times where I either quit too early or I refuse to acknowledge that I have lost. And why are we talking about this today as we, as we talk through Jesus' prayers? It's because as we look at the most important, like, one of the last prayers of Jesus' life, we see a reality that we don't want to face, but we have to face, which is we will lose in our life. There are going to be moments of loss. There are going to be moments where we have to surrender. There are going to be moments where we should mimic the words that Jesus said of not my will, but yours. See, no matter how long you've lived on this earth, you know that there are moments where you lose. There are moments where you are frustrated and you go, I thought this was going to go one way and it's gone something else. Maybe you're a young adult and you're here and you're fresh out of college and you you're so excited for this job that you just put an application for. We're hearing constantly that everyone's hiring, but it seems like no one's hiring you. And you know, I'm qualified for this job. I put in my resume and somehow eight hours later, I get an email that says that in those eight hours, they very carefully considered your resume, but have decided to move forward with another candidate for the position. Maybe you are here and you you've been dating someone for a while and you thought you had a life together planned out and it turns out that's not the case. And you're sitting there going, I lost something I didn't think I was ever gonna lose. Maybe you're struggling and it's, it's not that heavy. Maybe it's you're struggling with, it's your senior year, you're playing sports and you lose that big game and you don't get to go to the state playoffs and you go, no, this was the plan, this was going to happen. But we have to deal with that loss. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a loss of a dream, whether it's a, a career or, or maybe you're struggling with infertility. Whatever it is, there is a reality that we must face, which is that in our life, there are moments where we will lose. There are moments in our life where we need to surrender. And if I'm, to be honest, like there are times in my life that going into Easter, which is a celebration, the biggest celebration that the church has, that I would struggle with celebrating because I was in a season of loss. And I have a really hard time getting to a spot where I would say, not my will, God, but yours be done. I think something that I didn't know because I just, I hadn't looked hard enough at Jesus. And it's so encouraging for us to realize and look to is that Jesus had a hard time with that as well. We're gonna see this moment where Jesus is praying and saying, God, this isn't how I thought, this is not what I wanted it to be. God, if there's any other way, will you take this from me? And he hears no. So we're going to look at this prayer of surrender that Jesus prays. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, picking up in verse 36. And to kind of set the stage before we get here, uh, Jesus has just had what's known as the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, he's got 12 disciples, one of whom is going to betray him in the room. They're all together at a table at a moment where Jesus is saying, this is our last night, kind of all hands huddle before I'm going to be betrayed, arrested, and killed. And in it, he says some really crucial things we're going to talk about later. But then after that dinner, he knows I'm going to go be betrayed and arrested and ultimately killed. And before that moment happens, though, Jesus actually takes a moment to go and hear the voice of God in a moment of solitude and prayer. 
If you remember from way back in like week two of this series, if you were here, we talked about this idea that when Jesus retreated to solitude, when Jesus retreated to places of stillness and silence, he did so as a way of reminding himself of the voice of God who had told him, you are my son whom I love and who I'm well pleased. So Jesus, I imagine, is going to a place of of comfort, looking for comfort from God the Father, and it doesn't come in the way that Jesus expects. I've been there, haven't you? We're saying, God, I thought this was going to go differently and and we don't hear what we want from God. So we get to see what Jesus does with that. So picking up in verse 36, he says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. There's a lot going on here. This is an intense prayer moment that Jesus has with God. And I've had moments where I'm praying with God and I yell at God moments where I'm angry with God. And if you're here and you've had those moments, I need you to know that's okay. God can handle them. God can handle your anger. God can handle your harsh words. God can handle you questioning his judgment because he handled his son doing that. It's hard, right? When we say, God, I, I don't want this to happen. God doesn't show up. It's so interesting that we, see, we get to see Jesus handle this though. I love that we get to see Jesus handle this concept of really having to surrender his will to God's will because it's something that we have to do ourselves. It's so important, I think, for us to learn how to surrender well when we are followers of Jesus. And so we see here, we see this, this idea of surrender around the prayer that Jesus prays in the garden. So this first aspect of surrender that we see Jesus tangle with in his prayer is what we can call the reality of surrender. The reality of surrender. I think one of the most important things about surrender or loss is that we have to allow ourselves to feel the reality of it. We have to allow ourselves to sit in it. We have to allow ourselves to be present. Otherwise, we will never move forward. Right? If we don't sit in the reality, we're not going to be able to be whole. And it's interesting, sitting in the reality of surrender hurts. Like it is painful and it is going to be painful. It's part of what makes us human, right? We, we get to have these moments of great joy, but we also get to have these moments of hurt. And I, it's hard, but I think sometimes I need to learn to be grateful for the fact that I can feel pain instead of just being numb to everything. Because it means I'm alive. It means I'm human. 
And in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, he actually says that there's a unique aspect of our suffering as humans. There's a unique aspect of suffering when we're in a community like this that provides a benefit both for ourselves and for those around us. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says this, For just as we share in the sufferings of Christ, so our comfort also abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. That's the beauty of community, right? I think so often the things that we go through feel unbearable because we're not meant to go through them alone. We're meant to do things in community. We're meant to be in a community where when we suffer, others get to see us suffer. And yeah, they bear a cost of that, but there's also a benefit where they go, oh, you made it through it, so I can make it through it myself as well. There's so much power in the phrase of like, oh, you struggle with that too? I thought I was the only one. Right, when we suffer, when we have to deal with surrender or loss, there is actually a benefit to those around us. And we get to see, as Paul writes, that ultimate benefit we actually see in Jesus, right? Where we participate in Jesus' sufferings, we also participate in Jesus' comfort. I think it's really important to do this. Like if you feel like you're at the end of your rope, if you feel like you've lost everything, if you feel like you're done, you need to feel that. There are two temptations that I have when I'm feeling hard things that I don't wanna feel. One is to push it away and push it aside and pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, the classic illustration that I use for this is, a, is a, I, when I was a youth pastor, one of my um, youth students was talking to me and I, I ended up riding in, in their car with them and a couple of friends and the music was really, really loud. Music was really loud. I was like, man, you really like your music loud. They're like, yeah, and it covers up the weird car noise. <laughs> I was like, the weird car noise? They're like, yeah, it covers up the weird car noise. It's like, don't you think you should look at that? I don't have the money, so I don't think I should look at it. It's like, I, okay. Like, we all have coping mechanisms. That's not a healthy one, but I get it, <laughs> right? And so we can't do that with our feelings, right? I think so often when we feel things and we don't want to, we push it aside, and then we turn up the radio of everything else in our life. We overwork, we overschedule, we overbinge on whether it's food, drink, Netflix, whatever, exercise, right? We can have healthy things that we're binging just to cover up our feelings. So that's one temptation that we have is that we can just push down everything and try to cover it up. And that's not healthy, right? We have to feel it. But the other thing is this, is that sometimes we overly feel things. We overly feel things. Feeling, a friend of mine said this, feelings are really, really important. But feelings need to be an indicator, not a dictator. Like sometimes we can let our feelings rule our lives and color everything about our worldview and that's not healthy either. Uh, my son Griffey is a feeler and I love that. He is like the most emotionally healthy six-year-old I've ever met in my life. And his little sister is not, so I don't think it's how we raised him. I think it's just who he is. But I remember he was talking, he had a hard time with kindergarten this year in one aspect alone. Um, he had an amazing teacher who had a really complicated pregnancy and blessedly her and baby are okay, but just is hard, just a rotating door of substitutes this year and not knowing the plan. And Griffey, my six-year-old, thrives on knowing the plan. And so those, those days were hard. Like it was hard to come back from winter break and be like, I don't know who your teacher is, but let's like walk into school together. Which also I was like, I don't know if we can do this, but dad's gonna try with a mask on to walk into school together in January, we're gonna see. Um, and it worked and he was better. But I remember... Um, we try to do a really good job of affirming his feelings. 
But then I noticed that he had started to develop a narrative. And he goes, kindergarten's been really hard for me this year. I was like, I don't, I don't actually think that's the story of your kindergarten year. And he goes, what do you mean, dad? I go, you've had a hard time with one aspect. I was like, have you made friends? He goes, yeah. It's like, do you like playing with kids at recess? Totally. Do you like what you eat at school every day? Yes. Do you have enough to eat before you go to school? Do you like how you get to and from school? Totally, love it. Do you like your long-term stuff? Absolutely. Are you learning a lot? Totally. So Griffey, there are kids who struggle with everything that I just listed. Because when we overly feel something, we let it rule our lives. It can color our perspective in ways that it shouldn't. And we get to do this middle ground because that's the Jesus way where I get to look my six-year-old in the eye and go, man, having different teachers every day was really hard for you. And I'm so proud of you for how you dealt with that. And we get to talk about how that made you feel. But also, you've had a really good year and I need you to remember that and hold on to that. And it's, I think the best way forward is this middle way where we allow ourselves to feel it. And again, we look to Jesus as the example. Jesus felt it. In Luke's gospel account of the same moment in Jesus's life, in Luke 22, it actually says this, being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus fell to his knees. He's sweating blood. He's feeling all of it. He is experiencing everything. I think a lot of times we don't know how to surrender because we're still fighting with the reality of surrender. Have you ever been in a situation where there were no good options left? There were no good options left. That's hard, but it happens to us. And again, I don't know about you, but my reaction is to try to escape or pretend that it's not the case. Have you ever opinion shopped your problems? <laughs> Where you're like, I think I'm supposed to break up with this person, but I don't want to, so I'm going to go to the friend who I know isn't going to tell me to break up with them. <laughs> or, man, I think I'm supposed to keep pushing ahead in my major right now in college, but it sounds really hard, so I'm going to go to my friend that says, it's okay, you can drop out and do whatever you want, instead of the parent who I know is going to encourage me to be the best person I can be. Because sometimes that's our way out when we don't feel like we have a good choice is we know who we can go to to get bad advice. <laughs> and it's hard, right? When we're in situations where there's no good option, right? When that car breaks and the, the radio won't cover up the fact that the car won't start anymore and now you're saying, I don't know how to get to work to get money. I don't have money to pay for the car. That's hard. We get to acknowledge that's hard. When we lose someone too soon, when we get into these no-win situations and we say, I don't know what to do. I guess I just have to surrender. I guess this is just a loss and I don't wanna say that word. It's hard. But I think that allowing ourselves to feel that loss, allowing ourselves to feel that reality is the only way that we're going to move forward. We see here Jesus give this prayer of surrender I think this, maybe you're here today and you need to say a prayer around the reality of surrender. And, and, and I wrote down a few of these. And for me, the prayer reality of surrender is simply this. God, this is really hard. God, this is really hard. I think sometimes even just saying that out loud, even if it's just you by yourself talking to God, acknowledging that reality can help us so much. God, this is really hard. I haven't wanted to say that for weeks. I haven't wanted to say that for months because I didn't want to allow myself to believe But God, this is really hard. I think I might need some help. 
It's interesting though, once we acknowledge that reality, even if we say that prayer, even if we get to the spot where we're, we're okay with the reality of surrender, we still see through Jesus what we can call the reluctance of surrender. See, the reluctance of surrender. We don't like to lose. I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. I don't like to lose when it's something like monopoly, let alone my life, right? Those are very different stakes. But sometimes we're in a moment of loss and and scientists and, and, and counselors and mental health specialists have shown that there's roughly five stages um, that we go through when we're processing a loss or grief or surrender. Um, and the important thing to remember, right, uh, a lot of you know them, but it's, it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, denial is dealing with that reality of surrender, right? And reluctance of surrender is this bargaining and acceptance piece. And it's important to know that like these five stages, it's not like a video game. Right, like you don't like go through the world and you fight the denial boss and then you get to go to the next stage. Like that'd be cool, right? That'd be awesome. It's not like that. It's not linear. Um, stages are going to take different lengths than others. Sometimes we go in the order that it's not on the paper and that confuses my brain because I'm like, no, that it says I do these things, but it doesn't work that way. But it's still helpful, right, to have this guide as our world's been turned upside down to go. What I'm feeling is normal and okay. But this bargaining, right? Um, Again, I'm in, I'm, we're just in a season of life with little kids. It's my four-year-old daughter. She'll do this all the time. She'll, she'll do something, whether she'll throw something at her brother, she will not listen to us, and our children are being, you know, we say, hey, bad choices come with bad results. And so a bad result will come, whether it's no TV that day, or, oh, hey, you have to clean up your room now instead of later when you want to, and she will start bargaining. She will start bargaining. No, 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 I'll do it this time. I promise I'll do it this time. Okay, I promise it's gonna be different. Are you sure? Okay, this, the, the result is still there. Um, and it's funny when it's a kid and it's less funny when it's me with God. But there's been times, right? I remember as a teenager, God, if you just let me get an A on this test, then I promise I'll start reading my Bible. God, if you let me pass this class in college, then I promise I'm gonna start spending time with you. God, if you just show up in the middle of this situation, then I promise I'm gonna be a better husband and father. Just you wait. God, I promise that if you get me out of the situation of my own doing, then I'm gonna stop turning to the bad habits of drinking or whatever they are for you. Right? We bargain all the time with God because we're wrestling with what we can call this reluctance of surrender. We see Jesus wrestle with it too, which is really comforting for me. Where three times he goes and prays the same thing. He repeats his prayer. God, if there's any other way. God, if you can do this, please do something. God, I don't want to do this. Sometimes I'm reluctant to repeat a prayer. Sometimes I think praying out loud is silly because I'm like, God knows. If you felt that, that's okay. Here's what I know. I don't know how prayer works, but I do know that prayer works. I know it through my life, through the lives of others, and through what I read in the Bible. And I know that sometimes God says that repeating prayer is helpful because it focuses our heart on him. And that sometimes God says many people together praying is helpful. It's interesting, in Jesus, we see him repeat this prayer and it doesn't change God's plan. I think some of us have been there before. We say the same prayer over and over again. Maybe it's that loved one who's in the hospital and you're saying, God, I know you're a healer. God, heal them. God, I know you can do this. God, show up and heal them. And God doesn't. And that's hard. I think 
I don't have great words for when we experience loss like that. I don't have great words when we experience surrender like that. I just get to point us to Jesus because that's the only thing I know to do in those moments. In those moments, I see that Jesus knows what it's like to have a prayer go unanswered. We also get to see the change of heart that comes from Jesus from a repeated prayer that went unanswered. Where he goes from, God, let this cut pass to, okay, God, not my will, but yours. Okay, God, not my will, but yours. Okay, God, not my will, but yours. I think sometimes when we repeat our prayers, it's actually to align our hearts on what God has for us instead of our own wills. Maybe you're here and you need to pray a prayer of reluctance. God, you know my heart. This is not what I want, but I'm choosing to trust you. God, you know my heart. This is not what I want, but I am choosing to trust you. Finally, we see Jesus do this final act of surrender where he releases. Right? Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's known for a while. He definitely knew at dinner earlier when he was talking to his disciples. And we get to see him practice this release of surrender. It's interesting, like Jesus does all the time, Jesus excels at this. Jesus is a weird person where like sometimes I'm like, it's really comforting that you've gone through all these things and I can look to you, but also like you do it so much better than me. And I don't know what to do with that. But it's, it's crazy, right? He wakes up his friends and says, come face my death with me. Like if I'm Jesus and praise God, I'm not, because we would be a whole heap of hurt. But like, I would need my friends to drag me, right? Like I don't have that courage. I would still be saying like, no, God's gonna show up. He's gonna do something different. I'm not going there though, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually releases, he lets go. Jesus made a decision and now he's, he's going forward with it. There's no looking back. He can't afford to do that. He has to look forward. Choosing to surrender, it's a big decision. I think all of us have faced big decisions in our life. We're gonna face big decisions in our life again moving forward and choosing when to surrender, knowing is this the moment that I tip the king over and I'm gonna be that annoying kid moving it square by square by square? Choosing to surrender is a really big decision. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a business leader in the community the other week. Um, we were going on a walk, which is always awkward when people are like at least five inches taller than me, which is a fairly common problem for me. But um, he's a business leader. And I said this, like you make big decisions on a weekly or monthly basis. How do you do it? Because I'm, uh, where are my warriors? I like to call my, where are my planners? Your secret warriors. Okay, keep your hands up. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I call myself a planner, but sometimes I'm a warrior. And so I was asking, like, how do you deal with big decisions? I remember what he said. He said, I will allow myself all the second guessing and worry and fretting and anxiety leading up to the moment I make a decision. But then once I've made a decision, I just move forward. And I can't even think about it. I was like, you can't even, like, how do you turn your brain off? He's like, I just have to. I've never been envious of someone being able to turn their brain off, but like in that moment I was. I, I, was, I was fascinated. I kept asking him more questions. Like, how does this work? And, and it came down to, he goes, once I've made a decision, I have to commit and move forward. And sure, nine months, 12 months down the road, I'll look and be like, oh, cool, that worked. Or like, maybe it didn't. But until that point, I just have to keep moving forward. I love that we have this example of Jesus releasing in that way where he says, no, I gotta move forward. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I thought was gonna happen, but I gotta move forward. 
It's interesting, I thought about that conversation for a few days afterwards and I looked back on the big decisions in my life that have worked out really, really well. By and large, there were decisions where I felt the confidence in who I was and who God was and said, I'm gonna move forward from this and not look back. I refuse to be that kid moving the king around, not knowing that I've lost and that there's another game that we can play next. See, that's the cool thing about surrender when it comes to Jesus. So there's actually a victory in it. Being in communion teams, you guys can come forward. When we surrender to God and to his will, when we say, God, not my will, but yours be done, there is a victory in that. There is a victory in that loss. There's a power in this release of surrender when we finally say yes to something outside of ourselves. And release, it's actually what following Jesus is all about. See, following Jesus is all about letting go of our own ideas of what needs to happen, letting go of our own opinions, letting go of our own will and trusting that God's way is better than our way. It's a prayer I wrote down for a prayer of release. It says this, God, I know my life is best when it's in your hands, not my own. God, I know my life is best when it's in your hands, not my own. When we follow Jesus, we get to understand that these moments of surrender, even a moment as intense of surrender as Jesus had it in the garden, they're not actually moments of loss, not ultimately. God says this, he says, I've mapped this all out. I know how it ends and it ends in victory for me and everyone who said yes to me. We're gonna have a time during the, when the band plays where you can come and take communion at the stations at the front or at the back of the room. And communion's for everyone who said yes to Jesus, even if that's you this morning. Saying yes to Jesus is really simple. I think over decades and centuries, the church has made saying yes to Jesus more complex than it needs to be. I've done that. Here at Anchor, we, we talk with our staff and with our volunteers that our, our heart is this. We want the doors of this church to be open as wide as possible. And we want to lift what is central as high as possible. So what is central to following Jesus? It's these prayers I wrote down. God, this is really hard. God, you know my heart that this is not what I want, but I am choosing to trust you. God, I know my life is best when it's in your hands, not my own. If you're here today and you're tired of feeling like the loss in your life is final, if you're here today and you're tired of feeling like you're doing this on your own, if you're here today and you're tired of doing things your way because your way just hasn't worked out, I would encourage you to say that prayer today. Say, God, I trust and I know that my life is better in your hands, not my own. So God, I need you. If you said that prayer, whether it's this morning for the first time or some other time in your life, we'd love for you to take communion with us today. Here's space at Jesus' table for you. One of the other things that we have, though, at this gathering is that at both of these black walls in the front of the room is, is people who would love to pray with you. I think this, there are people in this room today who God is asking to say one of these prayers. Maybe God's just asking you to fit, finally face the reality of surrender, finally face the reality of loss. Maybe God's asking you to finally say, God, this is really hard. And I haven't wanted to say that because saying it means it's real and I can't handle it being real, but I'm gonna take that step and trust that you know better than I do, God. Those people at the prayer stations would love to pray that prayer with you. 
Maybe you're going into a hard season where you know I'm gonna have to give up what I thought was gonna happen and I don't want to. And you need someone to be there to put a hand on your shoulder or on your back or even reach out a hand towards you and say, as you say the words, God, you know my heart, this is not what I want, but I trust you. Maybe though you're here and you need someone who's gonna be there and and pray with you and be excited and celebrate with you as you say for the first time, God, I know that my life is better in your hands, not my own. I just wanna encourage you, if you you come in and and any of these have hit home for you and you're carrying this weight, God's heart is not for you to leave this building the same way that you came in. Talk to someone. It could be someone at the prayer stations. It could be me in the lobby. It could be someone who, who came with you this morning. Just talk to someone and say, hey, I need to deal with this, whether it's dealing with reality or reluctance or finally releasing and letting go. Today's an amazing day for you to finally start dealing with that. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you for Jesus and his willingness to to live on earth, to live in this broken place, to subject himself to the same hardships that we face and that we encounter. God, I thank you for the example that we have in Jesus of his prayer of surrender. God, I, I pray this, that for anyone here today who's feeling that weight, who's feeling like they're holding on too long or maybe they gave up too early, God, that you would comfort them. They would feel your presence around them, God. They would reach out to you in one of these prayers of surrender, God. So God, I thank you for the fact that we are a community. I thank you for the blessings that come from, from sharing in our sufferings and our comforts together as a community. God, I pray for those who are here for the first time this week and God, for those whose next week on Easter is gonna be their first time, may they find a place in this community. May they feel seen, may they feel welcomed, may they feel loved in this community like so many others have. So God, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that you say that when we surrender, it's not a loss, but it's actually a victory in you. God, we thank you for the fact that you have fought the battle and you are victorious. And God, we thank you for the fact that we get to celebrate that victory in such an amazing way next Sunday at Easter. So God, we thank you for your word, for your son, and everything you're doing in our hearts. In your name.